And today we also saw the um, the Sunday school kids perform on that, and it's more or less reflecting on it. On it. Uh, maybe in our prison context, as a housewife, maybe as a su su successful um, uh, career person, and but the struggle that we have as a successful athlete, a youngster, but who is Jesus is what maybe would be in our mind even as we sit in God's presence. And I pray that God will be with us this morning as we meditate on God's word. Let me read a portion of the Bible that is for today's text. And I'll be reading from John chapter 1, verse 14, NIV. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Our Father God, we pray that you will be with us and pray that you will speak to each one of us this morning, even as we meditate on who is Jesus and how the word became flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas is indeed a, a blessing, in a sense, a very happy, a joyous occasion. And, um, but the question remains as to how Christmas is relevant today. Um, in, in, the, in the skit, I saw someone, especially the, well, Brother Abraham, what was that? I mean, Zen Zir, what's that? And yeah, and then how did you skip X, Y, and from Y you skip it and gone to Z? I don't know, what's all this? The terminology that we have got. Generation X is supposed to be now uh, ancient. What millennial is again? What ancient and zir, zen zir? Mind-boggling, isn't it? But the question, the mood, the the mood question is: What is Christmas? Is it relevant? And I saw beautiful Anna was saying that yeah, indeed, she believe in she believed in Jesus Christ. It's it was real. The birth of Jesus Christ was real. And another one, then zir says, I mean, two thousand years back, is it kind of ancient? I mean, the relevance part. Is Christ relevant today? Is, bird, is, is Jesus Christ, the bird of Christ, relevant today? Is I think the mute point that I want to take further, maybe connect the skid along to the word of God as we meditate on it. The, word, the, the, the bird of Jesus Christ is recorded in the gospel, in the four gospels, maybe not all. Mark is the first gospel to be written. And um, it starts, the, the, the mark starts with, in the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But however, Mark doesn't really describe the scene of Christmas, the, the Christmas nativity as such. Luke goes on to explain the beautiful story of how the angels proclaimed the good news to the shepherd who were tending the folks at night, the flock at night, and how you know, the, Luke, is a, as a historian, he is very careful, and he says that it was Caesar Augustus who decreed that a census is to be taken of the Roman world. And it was during the time of Quirinius, who was the governor in Syria, and Joseph, who was in Nazareth, he came in Galilee, he came to Bethlehem for the census because he belonged to the house of David. Those are historical facts. And I'm glad that Anna, in the in the in the in, in, in the skit, he says that, indeed, I believe. So therefore, what do we say about the historicity of the whole birth of Christ? God, the gospel, according to Luke, says so. 
it was in time in history. And the, the, the Luke is interesting in the sense that he proclaimed the good news. The, the, the good news of the birth of Christ was proclaimed to the shepherds who were just maybe in the society, those people who are in the periphery of the uh, in circle of influence. But they were the one who received the good news, the, 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 the story of the, the birth of Christ with so much of joy and happiness in their heart. Unlike, as Gospel Matthew would, would um, record, the mighty, the high and mighty people. Who were they? Herod. When the three wise men from the east came searching as the star leads them and, and, and went to uh, uh, King Herod, what happened? He was, he was disheartened. He was, um, he was disturbed. Not only him. The scripture says he, along with the whole of Jerusalem, with him. So the high and mighty, they were not really expecting the king of the Jews to be coming at, this, at that point in time. It was a disturbing news for them. So therefore we have Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Luke describe the native, the, 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 this Christmas story in the Bible. But what happened to John? John restricts the whole Bible description. It's a very, it's a, a little theological uh, book, the approach of John written to the Greek speaking congregation then. John says, the, describes the whole Christmas story in just one phrase of three words. The word became flesh. Four words. The word became flesh. That's the whole Christmas story, according to John. And that, what, that is what we are trying to look at this morning. Um, maybe from three, two point of view, how do we look at this? The word becoming flesh, and we meditate on it, and we try to see the enormity of how God's, how, how the word becoming flesh means to us. And maybe how the glory of God becomes real in the word becoming flesh. John started his gospel with the declaration that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In other words, when the beginning started, when the beginning started, the word was already there. I mean, what is the meaning? What, what do we understand by the word beginning? It is basically when Time and space started coming to the existence, isn't it? We are material being, and we understand this world, our whole world outlook is from the point of view of space and time. And outside space and time, it is difficult for us to comprehend. But the fact is that when this beginning started, and when the time started ticking, and space came into being, even at this time, the word was already there in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and it says the word was God now this echoes or rather it mirrors the creation account isn't it the creation account in Genesis 1 it says that God created the heavens and the earth how did he create God created by speaking the word let there be light and behold there was light and God says let there be let there be an expanse. Let there be a vault that separates the water from the water. And there it was. It came into being. The word was spoken and it came into being. And why is that? How is it possible? Even before anything of the space and time came into being, the word was there. And that word was spoken and it came to being. Well, it's difficult for Many of us, I mean, people to understand, comprehend this. How could, how could this 
be real. But that's the Christmas, uh, that's, the, that's the whole, um, uh, the creation story that we have. It's, if we put this perspective, narrative into perspective, we actually see the enormity, the enormity of the word becoming flesh. In the sense that if this word be the God that is, which preceded time and space within which we exist. And if this, the word is the God that existed before, and now the word is going to become flesh, we see the enormity of the statement. And I want us to focus on the enormity of this, the importance of this. It says the word became flesh, became is a transition. The word, the word which then existed even before time and space became flesh, flesh crudely put into existence of human being, how God became a human being. I mean, this is something which is, which the world in many ways are not willing to accept. I remember in my office, a Muslim gentleman walked in and then here's my staff and he says, sir, you're Christian? Yes, I am. God became, I mean, you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Yes, yes, the son of God. I mean, if God is God, and if he became Jesus with flesh and blood and all this emotion and as it is, then he is no more God. How can he be God? The world grapples with this basic fact as to how God, if God, if there's a God, must be a very infinite being. An infinite being becoming a finite being. Coming, squeezing himself into the concept of space and time. You know, becoming one as a flesh. I mean, how is that possible? But the whole, that's the whole Christmas story. And that's the beauty of it. Which the world is not able to comprehend and accept. But God, the word, becoming flesh is the whole Christmas story. Just think about the, the, the God of the Bible. I mean, who created, I think I have mentioned this in the earlier, maybe in our cell group or somewhere. God, when he created man in his own image, I mean, he took a big risk, isn't it? He made himself very vulnerable. I mean, I like, really like the word vulnerable in the sense that when God made man in his own image, he knew that he was not making God. God was not making God. He was creating man. And this man can really spoil his image. He took the responsibility, the risk of putting his image on this man. Taking the risk that this man can actually spoil the image, isn't it? And what makes God to take this kind of risk? What makes God to take this kind of risk? Making himself so vulnerable. Making himself vulnerable. He opening up himself to the point that people can just splash him. Make him. But what is this? It is God's love. God is love. First John, it says, and God is love. And we see at Christmas when word became flesh. We see how God again, Genesis creation, God in his image creating man, he made himself very vulnerable. And man spoiled that image. At Christmas time again, he made himself so vulnerable. God, the word, coming in the form of man, in the form of flesh. He himself became very vulnerable once again to us, for us, knowing fully well that yet again in time in history, 
mankind can again reject him. But that is the point of love. The closest that I can get, maybe not, not even near, okay, it's not even near to the whole concept, but the closest that we can get is maybe the love that we have within Christmas, in family, in marriage. In marriage, the husband and wife, what do they do? They open themselves up. When they open themselves up, what happens? They're making themselves very vulnerable. And what makes them do that? If not for the love that they have for each other, will they even open up? If for the love, if not for the love that the husband and wife for, have for each other, will they make themselves so vulnerable? So therefore, when we make ourselves vulnerable, it is basically when we willingly make ourselves so vulnerable and open up, it is basically in love. And that's exactly how God has shown us. God made himself so vulnerable to the point of even being risking rejection by his own creation. But God longed for that worship from his people, his creation. God longs for the worship from his fellowship, from the creation that he has created, from mankind. And God that took that risk. The word became flesh. So when we see this kind of situation, I mean, what should be our response? When God the word became flesh, and we see the enormity of it. And what do we do? Prophet Habakkuk did, he grappled with that, the whole concept of justice, and he said, God, what is this? You, are, you say that you are God of justice, and you look at the injustice in the world, and God reasoned with him. What happened to him? He ultimately focused on who God is, and he said, I stand in awe of you. You remember Jonah? Jonah was sent to proclaim the good news to Nineveh, and he ran away from it. And what happened? He, 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 he went into the belly of the fish, isn't it? But you see the kind of prayer that Mo, Jonah prayed at the belly of the fish when he realized, what did he realize? Not, he was scared, and he went to Tarshish, isn't it? But when he actually focused on who God is, his prayer was based on the salvation of God. And he was no more even concerned whether he's going to make himself out of the belly of the fish, isn't it? He was not even praying for his safety. No, he praised God. He praised God for the salvation, for his salvation. When we focus on who God is, when Habakkuk, Prophet Habakkuk understood the enormity of who God is, when Prophet Jonah understood who God really is, what drove them was being in awe of God, being in that attitude of worship. And so therefore, when we understand deeply the enormity of the word becoming flesh, it should necessarily drive us to worship God. So therefore, this Christmas, I want, to, I want us to look at this and see for ourselves whether this whole idea of Christmas is driving us, is leading us to worship God in a new way or not. I want us to think on that. Moving on to the second point, the glory of God in, in, the, in the word becoming flesh. John's gospel continues, the word became flesh, and he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Of course, at this point in time, when he was writing the scripture, he was 
um, referring to the many glorious miracles that Jesus performed and the way that miracle has been performed to the people by Jesus. He was referring to that. He was writing all those things. And he was also aware of the grace and the love and the truth that came up at cross and the resurrection as well. So therefore, in hindsight, in looking at it, John, the gospel writer, was writing all this about the glory that they have seen in the life of Jesus when he was ministering on this earth. But I want to put these two jigsaw puzzles together. The word became flesh. We have seen the glory of God that was shown to them, the two of them. In the, within these two, in, in John 1, 14, between these two phrases, there is one small phrase that has been squeezed in. He made his dwelling amongst us. He made his dwellings amongst us. And I thought this two, this phrase again beautifully connects this two, the word becoming flesh and the glory of God. Let us see how we can link these two together. It is said that John's gospel, John, the gospel writer, wrote, wrote his gospel to the Greek-speaking congregation, basically. And it is said that the word made his dwelling among us when written in Greek, in the Greek language. It says that it comes out beautifully about the, the, um, the tenth of meeting, in a sense that the, the Hebrew-speaking people would definitely be reminded of the tent of meeting. It is said, I read somewhere in the commentary. And I thought that is beautiful. You see, we, we must go back to Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, you see what happened was Moses, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside their camp and some distance away. And he called it as the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would come, would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Exodus 33, 7. And as Moses would go into the tent of meeting, a pillar of clouds would descend and rest there. It would stand and rest there as God, as, as, as Lord, speak with Moses. And it says face to face, face to face as man would speak with friends. That is what the gospel, uh, the, the, the Bible says. The tent of meeting where God in the form of the pillar of cloud descend and speak with Moses. That is Exodus 33. In Exodus 32, we see he was in Mount Horeb. And when he was speaking with God, waiting on God, what happened was the, the people under the, under the guidance maybe of Aaron, they, were, they couldn't wait further. They made a calf, isn't it? An idol. And they were worshiping. Moses came down and was so angry, he broke it. What was one of the consequences there? Many consequences were there, but one of the consequences was God's response to them. Go to the land that I have promised. I will not go with you. I will send an angel ahead of you. You will go into the promised land, but I will not go with you. Moses really grappled with that. I said, no, God. In one of the ten meeting, meeting in the tent, Moses really grappled with God. And he says, God? You say that you're going to send us there, but you have not really told us who is going to come with us. Unless, unless you are with us, I will not go. Basically, that is what. Moses was telling, grappling with God, talking to God and, and besieging God. God, you have to come with us to the promised land. You have to lead us to the promised land. You know what? God in his love, he said, well, Moses, I like you. I love you. And he says, I'm just going to do that exactly. So therefore, 
the God who says, I'm not going to go with you, somehow relented. And he says, I will go with you. The grappling happened in the tent of meeting. The, 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 the prayer happened in the tent of meeting. God says, I will go with you. Moses took one step further. He says, he said, God, unless you go with us, unless your presence go with us, never send us from this place. That was the word, that was Moses' prayer. And God, Moses went one step further. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God in his majestic and splendor, in his love, he says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. God showed his glory. And I always wonder what it means for God to show his glory. But to Moses, he allowed the glory, his goodness to pass before him. And that was his glory. I don't know what it is. It must be really overwhelming, isn't it? The glory of God condensed in such a way that his goodness passed before him. And that was the glory of God passing before Moses. God showed his glory to Moses. Let's go back to the, the scene in nativity. The angel proclaimed to the, to, to, the, to the shepherds, today a child has been born. A child has been born. And what happened? The glory of God shone in their presence. And what was the response? The shepherds were terrified. And I wonder what God must have shown. What aspect of God's glory must have been shown, condensed in that, on that fateful night? that the shepherds were so terrified. They were not scared, as in scared of judgment, but they were terrified in the presence of God, in seeing the glory of God. Was it the God's goodness passing just like Moses that happened before Moses? Was it the sense of justice that was shown to the shepherds that they felt so terrified? Or was it the love of God that was shown to them, which was so overwhelming that it was so terrifying? Reflecting upon our own lives, the glory of God shone around them, the shepherds. What was the response? The response of the shepherds was that, come, let us go and see, look for this child that has been told to us. What is the response when the glory of God was shown to the shepherd? It led to the heart of worship again. It led to the heart of fellowship. They went and saw the child. They worshipped him. That's exactly what God wanted when he created man in his own image. That was exactly what God longed for when the word was spoken and things became into being. That was exactly what God intended when he made man in his own image for that worship, for that fellowship. Glory of God shone around. The word became flesh. The glory of God was shown around. And we see the indwelling of God in our midst. Will this Christmas lead us to, will it lead us to a deeper relationship is what I'm looking at. Who is Jesus? Like the skit said, 2000, is it ancient? Isn't it ancient? Will it lead us to our knees and will it, lead us to worship God? Will, lead us, will it lead us to looking 
at the glory of God. I think this is something that we can look at as we ponder on how God became, the word became flesh to dwell, to live in our midst and continue to be real in our life. When he dwells in our midst, he is real and he is there in our midst every day. I wonder if this will um, make any sense to the gospel, the hymn writer. Oh, come, let us adore him. And we have extended to another hymn, uh, to, to another verse, for you alone are worthy. It's my prayer that we will come to God's presence to worship the real intention of God in creating you and me, to worship him and to have fellowship with him. I will request a pastor to come and close in prayer and also in benediction. But I would really love to sing this song together. Oh, come, let us adore him. For you alone are worthy. Just two verses, just two choruses. Let us all rise up together. And as we sing this song, focus on God's word. And after which, pastor will lead us in, in, in prayer and benediction. There's no music, but we sing from our heart. Okay. Oh, come, let us, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Praise the Lord. For you alone are worthy. 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 Christ the Lord. As we remain standing and worshiping the Lord who became the flesh and revealed God's glory to us, let us also rush to Him, hurry and give our lives at the feet of our Lord Savior Jesus. Glory to God, glory in the highest. Lord, to Thee we give all of our praises, adoration. Truly, O oh Lord, it took such a great mission for the Father God to send His Word, His Son Jesus, in the form of a flesh, and who came, who dwelt, and Lord revealed his glory to us. So we are brightened by that glory. And therefore today, in adoration, in worship, we have come together and acknowledged Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the midst of us. And we lay our lives as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto you, O Master. Be pleased with us and receive us and accept us and we thank you for ministering to us through the blessed Sunday school children and through the choir singing to us and through the ministry of your word through Brother Thothar. And thank and praise you, Lord, we together in our hearts acknowledged you, received you, and uh, accepted you. And therefore, Lord, we once again, thank you and we praise you and give you 
all of our offering of praises as we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father God and the sweet communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God Almighty be with you and in the days to come. Amen. And thank everyone for the wonderful time of worship. And there is some refreshment and tea outside. Please welcome to join. God bless you.